Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and um, we're enjoying our time going through the book of, of Corinthians, not necessarily explaining every single verse, but going through, picking up highlights which are highly relevant for us today. Uh, if you've been following this series, and by the way, you can do that online or get the uh, CDs and audio recordings, uh, but uh, we've been seeing how the, what God was saying to this city church in the first century so, is so relevant to what the Spirit is saying to us today in the 21st century. And the issue is there were huge issues of immaturity and problems in the church, and uh, largely that was because they hadn't yet learned to discern between the thinking of the world and the ideas and the programs of society at large as contrasted to the Word of God. And today we're going to be seeing how we must build on the foundation of Christ, and that's the solid foundation, and what it means to only apply the Word of Christ to our lives, not to take our cue from worldly wisdom and worldly thinking, because we are building something for eternity. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read most of the chapter beginning at verse 5. And just to build up to this, you know that one of the chief signs of maturity where they, they were following men rather than God, they had their eyes on men, and Paul tackles this issue right now. And he says, verse 5, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may be become wise. 
For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God. Now, I think uh, a key part of this passage is found in verses 21 and 22. Let me read that again. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world of life, world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. Apostle Paul is saying, stop messing around with this kind of stuff. It's not what men say. It's not what men think, even those who are leaders among you. It's not about their opinion. It's about the revelation of God. And only the revelation of God is the solid foundation upon which you can build your life. And be careful how you build, because if you could only see the inheritance that I have prepared for you, all the things that I'm getting ready for you, you will make every effort and, and be absolutely sure that you will be able to lay hold of all that stuff and enjoy the richest and fullest inheritance. But if you don't do that, you are really seriously going to miss out. Now, they're very strong words, and let's allow the words to, to be strong to us today. Are you up for that today? All right, are you allow, you really ready that the word of God will speak to you and it won't be kind of, you know, softened a little bit and made to feel all nice and fluffy. We're not into pink and fluffy today. We're into the solid teaching of the word of God because that is the only thing that will sober you up, maybe even shock you into reality that God is saying the way you live your life as a believer will have eternal consequences. Now, I want to say straight away, I'm not talking about uh, whether you are saved or not. If you're not saved, get saved, all right? I'm talking not about the way of salvation, but how we are to live once we are saved. That's what I'm talking about today. And it's not enough to say, well, you know, I've crossed the line, I've got into the kingdom, and now I can just, just go through my life living any which way I please because there's really no sanctions and there's really no consequences. Anyway, after all, I've heard Pastor Colin Dye say, once saved, always saved. And if I'm saved forever, then what's the point? I don't have to worry about anything. It's all done and dusted and the rest of life is boring. I live as I please. When I get to heaven, he'll have to let me in and there are no consequences. Now, I want to tell you there is a judgment coming for us as believers. I'm not talking about the judgment of whether you go to heaven or hell. That is settled once for all. When you surrender your life to Christ and believe the gospel, there is, by faith, no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And the wonderful thing is to know we'll never stand before the, before the great white throne of judgment in heaven to have it settled whether we're going to get into heaven or whether we're going to be 
go to hell. It will, that's done, that's dusted. Jesus carried that price 2,000 years ago and when we put our faith and trust in Christ, the decision has already been made once and for all. You are saved and saved permanently and eternally. Amen and amen. But there is a judgment day for believers. Not to settle whether you go to heaven or not, but talking about the rewards and giving an account of what you did with what Jesus gave to you. Now, it is sobering, so uh, we'll get through it, all right? Amen. And you'll thank me. Maybe not now, but maybe in heaven you will say, well, thank you for that. All right. So what was their problem? Their problem was carnality. And all our difficulties in church life and even as individual believers, it's about carnality. It's about immaturity. And what that boils down to is this. It is choosing our own path. It's about thinking we are wiser than God, uh, making our own decisions based on our own thinking. And uh, that kind of thinking, unless it truly is reflecting God's thought and God's will, is a total waste of time and actually destructive and detrimental. So we say, well, okay, well, I'll just get my opinion from the family demon that has been, you know, I'm not talking about your auntie, I'm talking about the <laughs> negative spiritual influences that we inherited and uh, the kind of thinking that we're brought up to believe. Now, just because you were brought up to believe it, it doesn't mean to say it's right. I mean, family opinion is not what's really going to count there. Your family isn't going to be backing you up on that day. You're going to stand alone with God. He's going to say, what have you done with what I gave you to do? Well, my mama said, my auntie said, I'm not talking about your mama and your auntie. I'm talking about you. What have you done with the word I gave you? That's what will happen. Or you might say, well, you know, it's a pop popular opinion. You know, well, everybody was doing it. Everybody was saying this, Lord. That will not cut any ice with God on that day. He will say, I'm not concerned about what the prime minister said. I'm not concerned about what the social scientist said. I'm not concerned about the public opinion. I'm concerned about my word. What did you do with what I gave you to do? Ah, amen. Amen. I'll try and soften it, but there's something on me today that won't let me do it. Maybe I'll find a nice psalm somewhere. Is there an ice cream passage here? Some, I can't find. Oh, oh I'm finding Jeremiah. No, uh, let's leave that. Let's leave that. Let's, let's stick. Are you ready? Are you going to go with me today? The question is this. Do you really want your life to be based and founded on that which lasts? Not just that which works, but that which lasts. Is that right? Is that what you really want? It's gone mighty quiet in this place. Amen and amen. Oh, well, I've started now, so I better finish. All right. Carnality, immaturity. Often it's based in human opinion and our ideas against God's ideas. And this was manifesting, first of all, in the way in which they were placing emphasis on people. And they were putting their trust and putting their eyes on people, even good people like Paul, great apostle to the Gentiles, Apollos, one of the most eloquent preachers of the early church, or Cephas, Peter, who was well-renowned, and it might, might be a world-famous preacher today, but you better put your eyes on Jesus, not on any preacher, 
because that preacher is not your foundation. Jesus Christ is your only foundation. And so Paul says, now there's a right attitude towards godly ministers. And who are they? They are servants of God, and it's correct to honor them, especially how God uses them. Not to worship them or focus on them, but to honor them because their work is holy and sacred. He said, who are all of we? We are none other than ministers, ministers, servants of God by whom you believed. That's amazing. And it's not just the public presenters of the gospel and teachers of the word of God who are used in this way, but most of us came to faith through the witness and testimony and ministry of another believer, most of us. Sometimes people are sitting in a dark prison somewhere and get a flash of light and, then, and, and without any human intervention, and that does happen, but mostly we have come to Christ because somebody took the time and effort to study the Word of God and to present it in a credible way so that we could believe. And it's not just that the ministers, very often, are those whom God uses to bring people to Christ, but they are also servants of God to bring you to maturity so that you can grow. That's what today is about. What a wonderful opportunity we have with such a great bunch of people together today in this building and the building over the road and those who are gathered around internet screens all over the world who are listening to us and watching us, a great opportunity to say, God, speak to me from your word. I want to grow. I want to get everything that you've got for me. I want to display your wisdom and glory to the people who are watching me and to the unseen powers who are investigating the people who are watching us like big brother. I'm going to say, listen, I'll tell you something. I've made a decision in my life. I am building my life on the solid rock, Christ Jesus, and I'm building something that you can never destroy. Whoever you are, your opinions cannot invalidate it. Your spiritual powers cannot invalidate it. And I'm living for the glory of God because that's who I am in Christ. Amen and amen. So then the Apostle Paul says, these men, and indeed women, who are serving God, will be rewarded according to their labor. They will be rewarded. And then he starts to show how God will test their works. And he begins with this principle of the foundation. I want you to look again at verse 11. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, it says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. God has laid a foundation for life, for living, for time and eternity. And his name is Jesus Christ. All who came before him were not that foundation. All who came after him are not that foundation. Only Christ is the foundation. And this is the first challenge of the message today. Are you truly founded on Christ, the solid foundation? Are you truly, are you truly building on him or on the opinions of men? There might be highly intelligent people. 
There might be even religious leaders. I mean, anybody else who says you can build your life on me is a liar. I don't care who, you, who he is, what his name is, how sacred he might be in respect of human opinion or even religious opinion. No, it is Christ only. There is only one God. There is only one Savior. There is only one Jesus Christ, only one way, and only one foundation. And that's the message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Now, foundations are extremely important. I did a bit of research on the world's tallest building. That's the Burj Khalifa. Asante sana buona. The Burj Khalifa building in Dubai. Ah, I've been in Dubai, but it wasn't built when I was there. And there it is, a staggering 2,717 feet tall. How much is that in mileage? It's more than half a mile high. That's longer than some of you can care to walk. <laughs> half a mile high. And it's the, the tallest building in the world. Now, even now, I'm focusing attention on its height. But perhaps more important than how high it is and how tall it is, is what lies beneath the surface, beneath the building. Without a solid foundation, this world's tallest building will be nothing but the world's tallest pile of rubble. Because extending beneath it, 162 feet deep, built on 58,900,000 feet cubic yards of concrete weighing over 120,000 tons lays a solid foundation. It took a whole year to build the foundation before you saw anything by way of superstructure, anything above the surface. There was a whole year of digging and drilling and pouring in of the foundational material in order to support what was to come. That's why you must check out your foundations. A lot of times, we want to go straight to what is visible, what appears above the surface. But we know that above the surface issues are almost irrelevant and certainly not trustworthy unless they are built on the right foundation. So what are your decisions based on? The Word of God or the opinions of men? Many Christians, unfortunately, are being influenced by the counsel of the ungodly. The ungodly, worldly opinions, which might be very popular, and and you don't even doubt it because everybody believes it. Well, it's not about what everybody believes. It's about what God says. And so get down to that foundation and ask yourself, are you really building your life upon that solid rock? And as Jesus says in Matthew 7 verse 24, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And you know, that's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking about two kinds of builders, a wise builder and a foolish builder. And of course, the foolish builder built his house on the sands, and I want to get up there and enjoy it quickly. Don't worry about foundations. And of course, his house collapsed because when the wind came, the floods came, there was no foundation, and it was all washed away. And that is what it is possible to happen to you. You can live the whole of your life, but if you're not built it on the right foundation, it will come to nothing, nothing at all. So God says, are you building on the right foundation? And so the foundation is Jesus Christ himself and his teaching, following him, being wise in the way you live. Because however you live, it's founded on something. It's founded either on the opinions of men or your own personal preferences, or it's founded on Christ and the revelation of God in him. God has laid this foundation. So, he says, make sure you're building on it. But it's not just making sure that you build on the right foundation. He says, make sure you're using the right materials. Building materials are so important. One of our Elam churches, thank God, nobody was injured or killed, and it could have been, could have been that way. When uh, one of our churches was just being constructed in, in, in London, and uh, just 15 minutes before the building collapsed, there were people on, on the roof of the building checking things out. Anyway, when they got outside, suddenly the whole thing collapsed from inside. All the floors just collapsed. And it's a subject of court case right now, so I have to be careful what I say, but one of the uh, explanations is that there was allegedly allegedly a bad concrete mix. It, the, the actual concrete material was not up to standard. And so it collapsed. Thank God it collapsed before it had become a proper church building and people were inside meeting. Thank God. And one of the best things that can happen to you is that your building can, can collapse before it's too late before it's too late. And if it collapses now, you say, well, God, I need to make sure I'm building a better life. And don't put yourself under condemnation uh, over this, but you know, when things really start to fall apart and things really collapse, you can at least sit back and say, thank you, God, because now I'm going to start to build from here onwards in the right way using the right building materials. And so the building materials are clear. Paul contrasts two kinds of building materials. The one kind lasts, the other kind doesn't last. I mean, the lasting material of the things of excellence, things that are precious, uh, gold, silver, precious stones, uh, and the other kind of materials are the easy, easy come by materials, wood, hay, straw, stubble. And uh, God says, you make sure you're building with the right thing. So what I'm telling you is this, only the best for Jesus is enough. Amen. Only the best. Don't give him the fag ends of your life, the stuff that you don't want. Well, I have a bit of change in my pocket. God, you can have that, you know. Or, you know what? By the time I finish building my career, building my marriage, building my life, building myself, enjoying myself, then I'll give God just a little bit just to make sure that I'm keeping my subscription up so that <laughs> and that day he'll, he'll actually take me to heaven. People of God, if Jesus is worth anything, he's worth everything. He's given us such an amazing foundation to build on. 
Can you imagine if that building in Dubai with that amazing foundation, costly foundation, taking a whole year to make it, and then the builders say, all right, okay, planning change. We are going to put a beach hut on that foundation. You'll say, what a waste of foundation. <laughs> God has given us such an amazing foundation that we can build something of excellence, something that will last, something that will glorify Him, and something that will be of eternal value. And I say this, people, don't say, you know, Colin, I'm not into building. You know, I'm not really, I don't really want to be part of this building program. Too late, you already are. <laughs> the moment you said, Jesus, take my life, I give it to you, you became a builder. So you are already contracted. So it's not, the question is, is not, shall I become a builder? The only question is, what kind of builder am I? Because every single day, you are building something. Every day, a new brick. Every day, the building goes higher and higher. And so it's how you are building. So you say, well, it doesn't really matter. I'll just do my best. I'll tell you something, friends. It needs to be more than what you consider to be your best. Thank God for that desire, but it has to be what God is bringing about in you. This is by the Holy Spirit, and, and you have to be sure that you are following the building regulations, that you're following the plan of God for your life, so that you can be sure at the end of the day, when it's time for building inspection, that God will say, hmm, thank you, that's great, well done. That's what this is all about. Now, in verse 10, it says, let each one take heed how he builds on it. And uh, really, part of this, a very important part of this, is the issue of motivation. So it's not just what you're doing, it's how you're doing it. Why? Why are you doing it? What's the purpose of this? And uh, really, the only motivation that God is happy with is the motivation of loving obedience, of works done in faith out of a motive of love for God and a desire for His glory. And right there and then, you have now put yourself at the other side of worldly opinion. Because this world isn't thinking about giving God glory. This world is thinking about giving themselves glory. It's all about me. I want a career. I want to build something. I want to build something strong. I want something. That is, that, is, that is really good for me. Now, let's just assume that we can think that way just for a little bit, okay? And if, if that's what you want to live by, then understand this. If you want the very best out of this life, build on the right foundation and build the right way, all right? Somebody may build an amazing career, a, a, a staggering career, an astonishing career, but actually, if it's not built on the foundational principles of, of, of the Word of God, that career is going to come to nothing. After all, 60th wedding anniversary. I've got a little way to go yet, but anyway. 60th wedding anniversary. What's that going to be built on? If it's built on love and selflessness, well, that explain why you managed to reach 60 years of marriage to start off with. But also, that's the only kind of marriage that counts. Or in so many areas of life... Living for God is the best way for you to live. It's the most fruitful, the most blessed way of living. Life with God works. But it doesn't mean to say it's without difficulty. So we have to say, God, it's not just about whether I feel good about this. 
I'm not doing it simply because it solves my problems or makes me feel better and, and, and elevates me. No, I am doing this. I'm living for you because of you, because of who you are, because this is what is owed to you for your honor, for your glory. And really, we can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. So God says, don't just try and do this so that you're building up some kind of merit system so other people can look at you and praise you and say, what a wonderful person you are. Or God will get, when you get to heaven, God will say, okay, well, all right, you have built up 10 points now, and so here's your reward. It's not a merit system. It's a relationship of love where we are guided by the Holy Spirit and motivated by the Holy Spirit to build a life that genuinely glorifies Him. So take heed how you build. Let me ask you a question. Are you living for Christ reluctantly or joyfully? Amen? Is this kind of stuff that I'm talking about today, living wholly and exclusively for Christ, is that the main purpose of your life or is it just pushed to the periphery? Are you truly Christ-centered in your living or is it more about you? And I think, friends, that one of the things we need to understand more than anything else is there's no other choice, there's no other way of really honoring God than by surrendering our lives to Him and building a life that is truly, truly fit for His inspection. And so here we come to this, the inspection. There is an inspection coming, a building inspection. And it's the only inspection that matters. What you think about it really is of no consequence. It's what God thinks about it. Each person's work will be tested. And it says it will be tested by fire. Let's have a look at that for a moment. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 13 to 14. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. In verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So this is the fire test. The fire test. Now it's not the fire that is about the fire of hell. Don't think about it. Soon we hear fire, we smell brimstone, see the devil and think, God help me, get me out of hell. It's not about that. It is a test that God applies to what you do for him. It's a test that applies to your works. Now understand this, your works could never save you. Amen? Heaven is not a reward. It's a free gift. But heaven is where you receive your reward. And the rewards are granted on the basis of your good works done in faith in order to please God and glorify His name. So the test is simple. It is called the fire test. And when we talk about this, we ought to try and explain it. But I want to say to you, I'm not so sure that any Christian Bible teacher could, hand on heart, say, I know exactly what this fire is. But I tell you, I have a sneaky idea. 
I really do. Uh, if we think of uh, Jeremiah 23 and verse 29, we see that God's Word is like a fire, isn't it? Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. The Word of God is described as a fire. The Word of God is described as a hammer, the kind of thing that can destroy the wrong stuff so that you can build with the right stuff. It's also described as a sharp two-edged sword that can penetrate even to the deepest part of us and expose the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It is all these things. But it's interesting that the Bible says God's Word is like a fire. And we know that that's how our works will be tested according to the standards of the Word of Christ. He said this himself. John chapter 12 and verse 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. We will be judged by the very word of God. So that's why you better start letting the word of God judge you now. You got to sit your mock exams. Amen. And every time we have any kind of test or inspection, as we're all due to have, our own building inspections, our fire inspections, our health and safety inspections, and so on. We always go through the rule book, and we sit down and say, right, are we fulfilling this requirement? Are we up to standard in this part? Are we up to standard in that part? And we've been inspected and re-inspected like every organization is, and especially in our educational inspections, when we had to be inspected by the body that was going to become our academic over, over, oversight body, which is uh, originally was BAC and then it is uh, BSI, uh, BAC, BSI, whatever. I know who they are. They're the ones who come and inspect us. And then our courses to be validated by NCFE. And there are standards that you have to come up to. And they will judge you by those standards. And they send you those standards in advance. And if you haven't done it, they'll say, didn't you read the standards? Uh, yes, but we must, have, we must have skipped that bit. There is no excuse before them. And they will rigorously inspect you according to standards which are for our good. Amen and amen. I was, there was a church in Brazil that had built a marvelous auditorium. I even preached in this auditorium. But what I did not know, that they had broken every standard and every planning re regulation and every building regulation. I mean, they were only given planning permission for a small building, and they built a big building. And they had broke so many rules in terms of building regulation that the building was very unsafe. I didn't know it, and thankfully... Uh, the, it was between the morning service and the afternoon service when f finally everything caught up with them and the ceiling collapsed. And it's tragic because several people were killed, congregational members were killed, 
and many injured. Thank God it wasn't during a service in which there would have been thousands of people crushed to death. I mean, this is no laughing matter. So in the world's organizational systems, building regulations and planning regulations are absolutely vital. They are there for our protection. They are there for our well-being and there for our safety. And these Christians who call themselves Christians say, well, God's with us. We will build whatever we want. We'll do it any way we want because God is with us. With us. You cannot break the rules and expect to escape the consequences. And if that is true in a kind of physical sense, in, in building programs, how much more in a lifetime sense of building the life that God has for us. We cannot think that we can choose to live as we please and expect to pass the test on that day and be pleasing to God. Only way, it's logical, it's infallible logic, the only way to please Him is to do what pleases Him. And the regulations are here. I don't want to make this sound as if it's just a rule book because this is a relationship book. It's not just a rule book. But God has set in his word how we should live and given us guidance for our families, for our marriages, for our sexuality, for how we're to live and the character that he wants to shape in us. And don't think that you can live as you please and on that day just go sailing in. Excuse me, I don't worry about the fire test. <laughs> I'm going straight through. He'll say, wait right here. Let's take a look. Do you think that God is going to treat us equally in heaven? He loves us equally, but you've got two people. One person who has sacrificed for Christ. One person who with everything within them felt like going their own way. Felt like following popular opinion and following the wisdom of the world. Because everybody was doing it. Everybody was living that way. And that's what seemed good to me. That's what pleased me. And they say, no, no, no. I put the cross to that. I crucified that stuff. I disobey the world and I obey God. I reject the devil. I reject popular opinion. I take my standards from the word of God, from the character of Christ, from the revelation of the Holy Spirit, and it cost me something. To obey God cost you something. To obey God cost Jesus everything. That's why the Bible says he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It was not an easy thing. It was not a pleasant thing. It was a painful thing. But he said, I'm going God's way. This is the reason I came into the world. For this purpose, I was brought into the world. Father, what should I say? Save me from this hour? No way. I'm going your way. And it cost him everything. And so you've got this one believer that pays the price, that says, okay, I'm going to do what God wants, no matter what. If I feel good about it, that's all well and good. If I don't feel good about it, well, so much the worse for the flesh. It's stinking flesh. Crucify it just like a spoiled brat anyway. And I know one thing. I know that to live for Christ ultimately afterward, 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 it might be painful now. It might be hard now. I might be mocked and told I'm stupid and foolish, but God will show who really is the foolish one on that day when those who have planted their feet upon the rock Christ Jesus. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. Those who have planted their feet on the rock Christ Jesus and have built something of lasting value and paid the price to live for God in the 21st century and to stand before God on that day for to hear his well done, to hear his thank you. It's going to be worth everything. Now, let's give God glory. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's not going to treat us the same. You think somebody that has just done as they pleased, they're still God's kids? 
disobedient kids are still your kids. They're embarrassment, but they're still your kids. Is that not right? Disobedient kids are still your kids. You love them anyway. Your heart breaks for them when you see what they're bringing into their lives. And they have to go the very hard way. If only they would follow God, you would say. But you can't make them do it. And in the same way, God, he could make us, but that would no longer be love. God refuses to force us, refuses to make us. He says, the choice is yours. Even today, we can choose to do whatever we choose to do. We can't blame God because we have free will. Amen? And somebody that has lived a worldly life, lived a life in which eternity doesn't count, hasn't bothered to serve God, hasn't bothered to shape up their life according to the standards of righteousness and holiness, hasn't desired in any way to give God the best, just give God the rubbish out of their life and say, you keep on serving me, God. God will say, uh-uh, you got it wrong. You're supposed to be serving me. Do you think God's gonna treat those two people the same on that day? We are equal before Christ, before the judgment throne of God because we are declared righteous freely by faith and faith alone. That is level ground. But on that day, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which is the judgment for believers, the evaluation of our life, when we stand before that fire test, the fire will decide. God's word, Jesus' word will decide. And we will see God's word clearly, just as we can now if we give ourselves to study of the Word of God and open our hearts to the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that day will make each one's work clear. The day will declare it. There'll be no darkness on that day. Amen and amen. It won't be like that. It won't be a question of saying, but you know, I thought, what you thought is of no relevance on that day. It's what God says. That's what's relevant on that day. It's the reality. The the real life that God has given us. There'll be no excuses. But you know, Lord, it was difficult for me. It was difficult for everybody. What makes you so special? Amen? What about human opinions? Well, I didn't think like, you should have thought like that. I gave you the revelation. God's word, Jesus' word will judge us on that day. Well, my friend said one thing. That's irrelevant, what your friends say. It's what you do with what God has given you to do. My family Well, you you chose to bow down to the family demon and carry on those family traditions and those family attitudes which are not rooted in the word of God. What about my colleagues or popular opinion, television, the prime minister? It doesn't matter. Whoever said what, the only thing that matters is what you've done with God's word in your life. Amen and amen. Maybe you don't want to say amen. Maybe you want to say ouch. Maybe you want to say quick five minutes and I'm out of here. This, I believe that this kind of teaching that we find here was, first of all, addressed to the leaders. Do you remember the context? Paul said, who are these people? They are servants of God, and they will be rewarded for what they do. God will deal with them. Amen? And so the first application of this is to our lives as leaders. Now I'm going to lower my voice, because I'm no longer talking about you. I'm talking about me. So I'm going to give myself an easy time. <laughs> but really, seriously... It's an awesome thing to be a leader. That's why Paul says, you know, if you destroy the temple of God, God will destroy you. We are building something holy. What right have we got to build through the exercise of our personality? What right have we got to build around ourselves, our opinions, our ministry, our ideas? And I'll tell you something, friends. Leadership is an awesome thing. 
teachers of the word of God will be judged with extra strict severity. So pray for us. Uh, you're not off the hook either because, I mean, many of you are cell leaders. So now cell leaders, let me say to you, first of all, thank you for what you do because you have accepted responsibility to lead God's people. You might, might just be a small cell group, but you are faithful in what God has given you to do. There will be a reward for that in heaven, no doubt about it. But it's not just about leaders. This is a principle that is taught in other parts of Scripture. When we get to it, uh, if we choose to cover it, will we be in 1 Corinthians 6? Just make a note of it and look at it later. It confirms what I'm saying. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 10. And also in 1 Corinthians 5, it speaks about this same kind of thing. But in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when you see the context, it's talking about what you do with your life. It's not saying, oh, well, Jesus is my righteousness. No, it's about what you've done with that free gift of righteousness. Have you lived a righteous life? Have you obeyed God in your life? You see, God is not mocked. Do not be deceived. Whatever you sow, you reap. You cannot mock God. The teaching on grace is the greatest inspiration to follow God with and give Him everything that you have, not in order to be saved, but because you are saved and because you love God and you want to honor God in your life. But there will be no inheritance in the kingdom for those who disobey God and walk in disobedience. Obedience is necessary to qualify for the reward. And so, how does this operate? Well, you see, we are all called to minister. Isn't that right? We're all called to build the temple of God. It's the greatest activity of God in the world. I came across some words of Larry Crabb, who is a, a great Bible teacher, uh, as well as a Christian counselor, and so much of the counseling that we do in our counseling courses and the ministry of the church is based on his insights in, into biblical counseling. And, and writing a book about counseling and the church, he said these words, life must have a meaning, a purpose, and a goal. And what he's talking about is from a psychologist's point of view, that so much of issues and problems that people face is because they lack purpose or lack the right purpose. God made us for a purpose, and until we live for that purpose, we will never be fulfilled as human beings. So he says, life must have a meaning, a goal, and purpose that is neither self-produced nor temporary. Everybody knows, even the atheists know people need purpose and meaning, so they say, make your own. Make your own. After you're gone, it's all finished anyway. You can't take anything with you, so live life to the full. There probably isn't a God, or the God does not exist, or possibly, or probably, whatever they say. Uh, so enjoy life. Stop worrying and enjoy life. So that's your purpose. Enjoy life. That is a self-produced purpose, and it certainly is temporary. But God's purpose is God-given, and it's eternal. Then Larry goes on to say, the Holy Spirit has distributed spiritual gifts to each member of the body. The exercise of those spiritual gifts contributes to the most important activity going on in the world today. Did you get it? Shall I say it again? The most important activity going on in the world today. You mean the most important religious activity? No, 
the most important activity. Most important political activity? No. The most important activity. Most important sporting activity? No. The most important activity, point final, full stop. There is nothing that is happening in this world that is more important than this. Okay, Larry, well, what is it then? He says, the building of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the wisdom of God. There is no more important Holy Ghost activity on this planet than in calling men and women to Christ and building their lives into the community that we call the Church of Jesus Christ. No important, no more important purpose of Jesus who said, I will build my church. Amen. No more important work than God has because he says, this is my ultimate purpose in the building of the church of Jesus Christ, and guess what? We are called to be co-laborers with God, and we get to be part of that purpose, for this is the purpose that God gave to us. This is what we are called to do. There is no more important thing to do, no more fulfilling thing to do, than to lead people to Christ, and to shape their lives, and to disciple them into the faith, and release them to do the same. That's at the heart of the ministry of this church. And don't, if you don't believe me, try it. You say, no, no, well, I, I'm, I'm called to be a footballer. Well, where are you now? Well, I'm doing a bit of coaching. Well, what happened? Well, I, I, did you get through the trial? No, I didn't. Okay, so you've missed your purpose. Is that right? It's nothing to do with worldly achievement. Thank God you can serve God as playing as a number one striker for the best football team in all history. And I do not mean Real Madrid. Sorry. That was, got it into the flesh there. Let me just try and get out of the flesh. I'm talking about Manchester United. Oh, stop, 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 stop. I got into the flesh there. My, my personal prejudices. Okay, let me, can I rewind that? Okay. The most important thing is not anything about sporting achievements, political achievements, career achievements, or anything. The most important thing is building the work of Jesus Christ, and you use the Gold, silver, precious stones of your abilities and your God-given supernatural anointing out there in the marketplace, not just in church buildings. That's where you're called to build. And when you start building for God, your life becomes more fulfilled than you ever could be. I know what I'm talking about. I had a trajectory of uh, many years ago now on being very prominent and world known the world over for my ability in theater and in dance. The, the, the year before I pulled out of it, at the age of 21, when God made it very clear, this is not my future for you, I was partnering the senior ballerina in the Royal Ballet Company with five principal parts. Three of them were going to be made especially for me. I was on the way to worldly stardom, and I could have done it. I could have served God. That wasn't sinful. That wasn't wrong. But God said, I've got another plan. I want you to leave all of that behind, and I'm going to show you something. I'm going to use you in a way, if you follow the ministry I've given you, in a way I could never use you, even if you were the number one ballet dancer of the world. I know what I'm talking about. I'll tell you something. I love doing, doing what I did, but I, I love what I'm doing now more. 
It's more frustrating than anything <laughs> I ever did before, but also more fulfilling. It's only frustrating because of my human weakness and the weakness of others around me, but thank God that's not the final word. The final word is spoken by the Spirit of God who says, I can make you be everything I've called you to be. This is what living is all about. So get into it. Get into the program. Get into the building program. Build on the solid foundation and build with the right materials. Give God your very best, the very best that he's given you. Serve him diligently, and on that day, you will receive his well done. Give him a big praise. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. God bless you.